The question that is the title of this sermon has an obvious answer. Children, go ahead. You can go. I always forget that part. I start a sermon, then I see kids moving, and I'm supposed to say, leave. There, leave. They'll have a good time. But the question has an obvious answer to it. Where are the peacemakers? All right, not a rhetorical question. Raise your hand if you want peace. In the world, in your home, and on the, on the highway when you're driving, in the supermarket, in the long line, right? Ask that question anywhere in the world and they're going to raise their hands. Ask the farmer. Ask the farmer in the drug cartel-controlled parts of Mexico. Ask those who are living in the neighborhoods where civil war is breaking out right now, today, in Ethiopia. Ask that of the church members who are hiding in subways in Ukraine And the family that's gathered around a table in Russia who's torn up because of what's happening. Ask that of the American family or the American church that's in relational turmoil because of a pandemic. And everyone's going to raise their hand and say yes. But there's a bigger question that our text asks us today, and the question is this. Do I want to look like God's family? We're back to those Beatitudes as we began last week. We tried to do that 30,000-foot 30, view, and we're kind of do something very similar in some ways. That 30,000 foot view of one section of this scripture. The Beatitudes upend the usual way that we think about life. That's the, that's the problem with this passage of scripture. It upends the usual way we think about, or sometimes perhaps we should say we do life or we are in the world. But the words we read today do not make any sense in our world. They just don't make any sense. In his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, yes, but not in the world. This is the word of the Lord for us today, beginning with verse 9 in Matthew chapter 5. Why don't you stand with me as I read the word of God? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's so much that can be found in these words that I'm not even going to begin to tap into everything there. But I need to say, I wish that I found more answers in these words than questions. But this text causes me to ask a question. And as I look at my world, this text forces me to ask a question. Are these words from Jesus really welcome to our ears? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Are they truly welcome in our world to our ears, to my ears? Now, most say that they want peace. And most Christians say, you know what the world needs? The world needs peace. But Jaron Rowell in the book, These 40 Days, gets it when he says, the promised blessing is not for those who enjoy peace. Most people would prefer peace. The blessing is for the peacemakers. So the blessing isn't for all of us who raise our hands and say, I want peace. Give me peace. That's not what this is about. The other thing when I read through this passage, when I look at the Beatitudes, it seems to me that I don't think it's an accident that Jesus speaks of the peacemakers and then he speaks of the persecuted. It seems that Jesus connects, like none of the others, peacemakers to the persecuted. You see, the other blessings all are contained in one verse. But the blessing that comes from persecution and insult and slander, which is nothing about peace, right? Well, those, those blessings require three verses. So I asked myself, Jeff, is, is Jesus trying to send a message? And I think he may be. And I think the message is this. If you choose to live this blessed way of being in the world, don't be surprised when the world will have none of that. Don't be surprised. And maybe the peacemakers are the greatest target when the world will have none of that. Can you think of peacemakers who've been targeted, who've been harassed, who've been persecuted, who've been killed? Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood against the Nazis in World War II. He was, he was a prominent pastor. He actually, they shipped him over to the United States to protect him and he stood there and he said, I can't stay here. I must go back to my people. He, he was part of the underground church movement. They had an underground seminary. They had all kinds of things, part of what they called the confessing church. And you know what it got him? It got him a prison sentence and then they hung him. He was in his very young age. Martin Luther King was assassinated for seeking racial equity. Nelson Mandela sat in prison in South Africa for decades for fighting against apartheid. And last week, Father Ion Burden 
preached a message in a small village in Russia against the war in Ukraine. And he was arrested under the guise of a new law that if you spoke against the war, it's a 15-year prison sentence. And Father Burden was arrested shortly after preaching that message. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The peacemakers. They're the persecuted most of the time. Now, why are peacemakers targeted as the world clamors for peace? Isn't that ironic? Well, peacemaking can be very dangerous business because of the classic military and political strategy, which is this, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And if someone gets in the way of that, well, we need to get rid of them. In the eyes of the world, maybe in the eyes of the places of power and authority, though it sometimes is not stated, so obviously it's practiced regularly, might makes right. Might makes right. But my friends, we must be very careful how we define right. Because we will do whatever is in our power to hold on to that. And when our view of what's right is not defined truly by what God wants, then the potential horror and evil unleashed is not what God wants. I've been very careful to determine whether I should quote Pastor Andre from the Ukraine. And that's intentional because I, he's not just a sermon illustration to me. And though I've never met him, I've been trying to stay in connection with him. But his words say it better than I can. He's written on, he expresses what can be written about any place where war rains down on people. People like you, those who just want to attend church like you. Those who just want to go to a cafe and have a cup of coffee with a friend like me. Those who just want to take care of their families like all of us. You see, it is, it is their homes and it is their businesses and it is their lives that are decimated. He wrote this. What difference does it make in what area you have housing if a shell flies into it and destroys everything? Or how much you pay for repairs if you need to pack your things and become a refugee in another country? Or how many assets you have if you cannot ensure the safety of your family? Or how much money you have in your account if you can't buy medication? Or how much your phone costs if you can't call your parents? Or how fast your car is if every mile there's a roadblock checking documents? And then these six words. 
they just keep coming back to my mind. He says, we will never be the same. Can I confess to you, it's so easy for me to follow my news feed, to watch what's happening on television, and it's out there. It's so easy for me to figure out how it all should work out, or what should be done, or... But there's not any shells falling on my house. If my wife gets sick today, I can go buy some medication. I was taking a shower this And I thought, I have hot water. And I thought about the people right now in this cold and it's frigid. Without power, without water. People speak of the evils of war because we indeed lose our sense of humanity. As we destroy one another. But what is God's intended way of being? If we want a clue to that, if we really want to know that, if we really want to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to get a vision for what God wants in the world. And the Bible's filled with that. What God ultimately desires and what God will ultimately create. We are the people who don't live for today necessarily. We live for the time, toward the time when he makes all things right. But because that's true, he calls us to be part of seeking, joining him in doing that now. So what will ultimately be, be informs me today of how I'm to live. What does God want to do? Isaiah chapter 2. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Praise God. God's aim for mankind is the great reversal of changing instruments of war into instruments of common flourishing. There are all sorts of theories on war. We have people in our congregation who are pacifists. We have people in our congregation who believe in just war theory. We have, we have people in our congregation who believe, believe in preliminary addressing war, preemptive war. I'm not addressing those things at all. But what is God's desire? 
What is God's desire for humankind? Beating the instruments of war, beating them into instruments of common flourishing. It's this picture we get from Scripture. Here's another image. It's from the Bible. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That has classically been referred to as the peaceable kingdom. Power now is not intended for the powerful, but to seek flourishing even for the weak. Now, if you want to understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 9, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, if I want to understand that, these passages help frame out what this peace is about. You see, this is about bigger than just the cessation of hostilities, which I'll get to. This is about Shalom. This is about wholeness. This is about restoration. This is about what God really wants. Do you know that what salvation is, isn't punching your ticket to heaven. Salvation is participating in the shalom of God in the world now through Jesus Christ in order that we would participate and live out and experience and find the peace, the shalom of God in eternity for all mankind. That's what salvation's about. It's not about aligning my life in a certain way to make sure I'm cared for both now and forever. It's about being formed and shaped by this vision that Jesus has. And as Jaron Rowell further says, he says, the blessing is for those who work to bring wholeness and healing and reconciliation into the fractured relationships of this world. Now you hold that in your mind for the rest of this sermon, okay? That the blessing Jesus is talking about is for those who work to bring wholeness, healing, and reconciliation into the fractured relationships of this world, okay? I am to bring wholeness, healing, reconciliation, to the fractured relationships. You hold that now with me. I'm holding that with me. So what Jesus is saying is, is blessed are the shalom creators who seek wholeness and well-being for all people through Christ. That's the peace Jesus is speaking about. So it's not just an end to hostilities. That's why ceasefires never work. Hardly ever. That's not saying we don't need them. We do need them. We need ceasefires to protect even the innocent. But one reason why they never work, or rarely work, I should say, is that all they do is take something away. What Jesus speaks about is adding something to life. He's talking about addition, not subtraction. The presence of completeness and flourishing from God through Jesus. So what's my part? What's my part? 
let's be practical. We often want to be practical and pragmatic in sermons. What's my part? Romans 14 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let us make every effort to do what leads to shalom and mutual building up of one another. So how does that work with Ukraine and Russia right now? How does that work for me personally? What can I do? Well, please don't minimize this first step. Don't minimize it. Don't pass it off as just some spiritual hot air. Prayer is essential. Prayer is critical. And if you don't believe that, you you and I both need to understand that we are specifically commanded to pray as part of our effort in promoting peace. You can look it up, 2 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2, 1 through 3, where Paul says we're to pray for everyone. Then he says we're to pray for the authorities, even the emperor, who happened to be a bloodthirsty, murdering guy named Nero. But he goes on to say we do this for peace so that we will have peace. That's what Scripture teaches us. What else can we do? We'll be praying for people like Tim Doherty, Agnes's son-in-law. Be praying for the Sunbergs that are there. Would you pray for Brandon Sipe? He's going to be here in two weeks. And Brandon coordinates disaster response for Nazarene Compassion Ministries. And he's coordinating with our missionaries in Poland. It's a beautiful partnership of Nazarene Compassion Ministries, our mission, that's what your faith promise funds do. They support those missionaries. We support NCM. They end up helping them in times like this. The 120 members of crew that if you get Emily Brake's newsletter, Emily and Edwards Brake's newsletter, are in Ukraine. Prayer matters. It really matters. I don't know what to do for Pastor Andrew. He just tells me to pray. He said, God's doing miraculous things. Pray for our safety. So I'm praying for his safety. Join me in that. You can support organizations that are on the boots on the ground, so to speak. Support Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. They're funneling funds into the effort of caring for how many refugees now? And you know, if we are given the opportunity, my friends, if we're given the privilege by God of the opportunity, let us welcome refugees in our community and in our lives and maybe even in our homes. And then do this. Rather than leverage social media for personal position and gain, Leverage social media like Facebook to encourage others in the world who are facing suffering. Those are some real practical things we can do. Peacemaking. This is what peacemaking, though, looks like in war. Again, Pastor Andre. He says, there was a time when we were sitting in churches, went through theory, And now it's time for practice. How well we have learned the truth about selfless love for our neighbor and how ready we are to apply this in our lives. 
The war will end sooner or later, and then we can return to our weekly church routine. Until that moment comes, we will continue to serve people and preach the gospel with our deeds. What a statement that is. We went to church, we went through theory, and now it's time to practice. How well we have learned the truth about selfless love for our neighbor and how ready we are to apply this in our lives. Do we have to wait for war to do that? Is the question I ask myself, Jeff, do you have to wait for your neighbor to do that? So we all raise our hands and we say we want peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. But let's bring it closer to home. Remember that vision from Isaiah pounding the implements of war into implements of flourishing, right? So I have a question for myself. What personal implements of war do I need to beat into plowshares of peace? What personal implements of war, of destruction, of division, that I need to beat into instruments of peace, of Shalom. What implements, you might ask? Well, how are my words weapons? How are they? How are, how are my words weapons? Words maybe to my wife or to my children or to others. How are my words weapons? How does social media use become a passive-aggressive way to dehumanize and hurt others? Just to get a point across. How do I participate, let's just call it, in slander on the sly, right? The well-known word of that is gossip, right? Slander on the sly. How do I participate in that? How have I harbored bitter attitudes towards others? Am I harboring any bitterness towards anyone? How do I harbor that? How do I contribute to the partisan divide in our country right now? How do I contribute to that? Making those who are on the other side of the aisle the enemy. My friends, we have moved to a place where disagreement is not enough. It's a dangerous place we've moved to. In the church and outside of the church. We do all we can to demonize with the end goal of destroying others who have a perspective or political side that we disagree with. I heard recently this statement this week. It's not completely the whole statement, but it's part of it. Cruelty has become the social media and political currency of our day. And I need to ask, how have we who name the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, been complicit in that. I need to ask that. Because, you see, that's not the way of Jesus. We either follow him or we don't. That's what he said. Come, follow me. Which way do I choose? Blessed are the peacemakers Blessed are the shalom producers. 
Peter reminds us in 1 Peter, do not repay evil with evil, insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 9, but then you track it down two more verses. And he says this, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There it is again, over and over in the Bible. Why does the Bible keep saying that? Because ultimately, the peace we're talking about is that comprehensive wellness and wholeness for ourselves in the world. That's salvation. Now, this is not suggesting that wrongdoing is not addressed. It's not suggesting that evil should be tolerated. In some ways, quite the opposite. But sometimes, the best way to be a peacemaker is to love at a prayerful distance. Sometimes in situations of abuse, distance is good. Sometimes when someone is not willing to reconcile, sometimes you have to love from a prayerful distance. Sometimes that's what it means to be a peacemaker. But Lent, the season we call Lent, calls me to remember that Jesus hung on the cross And you know what he did when he was on the cross? He blessed those who were in the process of murdering him. Though he says to his disciples in the garden, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, put your swords away. I could call legions of heaven's army and stop all of this. It's in the Bible. But he didn't. And there he was, blessing those who were murdering him with forgiveness. That's a powerful implement of peacemaking. And right there on the cross, Jesus takes the cross and he pounds it from this instrument of destruction and death into an instrument of peace. Wow. My dear brother David Vryhoff writes, Faith does not diminish the pain or damage that someone else has inflicted against us. We need God's help to work through our anger and bitterness to arrive at the place where forgiveness is possible. We need to do this work. Without it, we will be imprisoned. And we will not have peace. We need to do that work of forgiveness. I must say, in our world, though, nothing has highlighted the fierce, and I use that word with great intention, the fierce war of words and ideas that has plagued the public discourse the last two years. Catherine McNeil writes in her book, Fearing Bravely, She says, when we believe the worst about each other, we do the worst to each other. Out of misplaced self-preservation, and it's all downhill from there, right? And then she writes, once our suspicions have moved to dehumanizing language, something measurable changes in our brain function. And it's just a, a psychological fact. Something changes. Once we start using language that demonizes, 
or diminishes another person. We will have not done a single thing against them. But once we start using language to describe them in some way that diminishes them or demonizes them, something measurable in our brain changes and it makes it easier for us to diminish them and to demonize them and to hurt them. And as she says, rumors and misinformation followed to their conclusion make enemies out of neighbors, out of the people we could have loved and befriended and defended. And I would even take it a step further that we could have been a witness to for the grace of Christ. We fail to remember something in all of this. Paul writes it in Ephesians. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not against this world, against flesh and blood. So what Jesus' words, what this beatitude does, it, it exposes the, what, I, what I'm calling this morning the gospel gap between what I say I believe and how I actually practice the gospel. Solutions toward peace now, what this does, it, 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 it breaks down this, this mental wall, I think, in some of us. Solutions toward peace are no longer the sole task of the government or the politicians or the world leaders or the church leaders or whomever. Suddenly, Jesus is looking at me square in the eye and he's looking at me saying, Jeff, blessed are the peacemakers. Looking at me square in the eye. So how, Jeff, how will you seek to build bridges and mend broken relationships as we find ourselves sitting in the rubble of the last two years of toxic divide? Will I be a peacemaker? Here's a really important question. Do I see how much is resting on that? He said, they will be called children of God. That's how he describes, Jesus describes the impact of peacemakers. It is how the world knows we are God's children when we're these shalom producers. And of course, because that's anything but the world is. Notice what he's saying. It's not based on how solid our belief system is, how right our theology is, how true our scriptures are, though all of that matters. But whether or not we are producing the shalom of God through our lives, that our belief system and our theology and our scriptures hold us to. Remember these words from Wesley Tracy. Share with them last week. Each beatitude contains elements of surprise because it upsets the usual way people behave. Jesus invites you and me to join him in being more loving, more forgiving, more merciful, more gentle than anyone has a right to expect us to be. He will supply the grace. Praise God. We can turn to him. So that just brings us a little closer to home, to the heart. Notice it's been like a funnel this morning. We started out here, here, and now we're really close. You will not be a peacemaker until you make peace with God. 
You will not be a peacemaker if you don't make peace with yourself. If I don't make peace with myself, I'm not going to be a peacemaker. Scripture tells us this, my friends. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, for he himself is our peace. Peace isn't some elusive emotional state of being. Peace is Jesus. It's a person. The person of the Son of God. And because of that, like you, I grieve what's happening in my world. And if there's anything really fueling this sermon today is the brokenness in my own soul and grief because of the peace of Jesus. Jesus brings the peace to our brokenness and our pain and our sin-wracked hearts. Jesus takes away our sin, but he also gives us peace. At the heart of the evils unleashed in war and the destructive ways we harm one another, whether by weapons of war or the weapons of our words, at the heart of that is the absence of peace in someone's heart. Is a fear that has not been defeated by faith, is a failure to see we are made in the image of God. And when I do not have that deep sense of peace from Christ or the, the reality and understanding that I'm made in the image of God, that I have that in divinely intended worth, it makes it a whole lot easier to not see another person made in the image of God. And it makes it easier to wound people. Scripture is pretty clear. Look what we learn from Paul's description of the descent of sin in Romans 3. He says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and mercy mark their ways. Then look what he says, And the way of peace they do not know. So here's the question for me, for me. Could my heart, my own heart, be the beginning place to being a peacemaker? Is your heart the beginning place? And ask yourself today, do I need peace? Because you see, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of his last words before he went to that horrific cross. He said, peace I leave you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus wants to add his shalom to our lives. As Les Parrott said, he gives us shalom when our hearts are sinking from failure, when our world seems to be falling around us in the monotony of small things. Shalom when our hearts are anxious and our hands are useless to do anything. It is when we reach the point of seeing our utter need of God's grace that we take the first step toward being godly peacemakers. 
doesn't even really begin with what I do out there. It's, it's when I realize what I need in here, which is Jesus. When I really know I need him, really know that. In our hearts, in our families, in the world, yes, the shalom of God in and the shalom of God out. And that is the starting place. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So today, the words of Jesus ask me, am I living the blessed life at this point? And if I'm not, what is Jesus asking of me today? Not what Pastor Jeff's asking. My friends, what is Jesus asking of you today? What is Jesus asking of me today? What is Jesus inviting me into today? What is Jesus inviting you into today? Here's the best news of the day. All we have to do is follow Jesus. What is Jesus calling you to and me to today? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called they will be known as the children of God. They will have the family likeness. So where are the peacemakers? We all just gathered here today. We are to be the peacemakers. Thanks be to God.